I don't know whether you're meant to get excited when you're 63, but I'm getting more excited. I, I, I am really getting excited with what God is doing. With what, not just what he's doing here, but what he's doing across this planet. Um, we often look around us at our little world, at our little New Zealand world, and wonder what's going on. But we need to understand that the church worldwide has never been better than it is now. You might say, oh, come on. I'll say it again. The church worldwide has never been better than it is now. It has never been more powerful than it is now. It has never been larger than it is now. And often we think, oh, take us back to the time of Acts. You don't want to go back there. The church now is flourishing. And we just need to see that God is at work. God is on the move. And all he requires from us is our cooperation. All he requires from us is our willingness to be part of what he's doing. Like the worship we had this morning, I tell you what God wanted to happen. He wanted each one of us to grab hold of what he was doing in the worship and begin to throw off our shackles, all of our inhibitions that we bring into this building with us and go for it. That's what he wanted this morning. And I tell you what, if each one of us were prepared to do that, we would know freedom like we've never known it before. Some freedom we just get. Some freedom we have got to push into. And as some things in our lives are not going to happen until we are prepared to let go of what holds us back and let rip. And if you don't like letting rip, don't go to heaven. I've been studying through the book of Revelation. That's the book we're going to do next. Oh, oh. I, I have put my head on the chopping block, but that is what we're going to do next. And I am getting so excited with how big our God is and the amazing things that are going on all around us right now that we haven't got the faintest idea of. I am getting excited. It's a good thing to be, eh? Romans chapter 12. Uh, in your notes, the notes are at the info desk if you want to grab those. Um, it says we're going to do verses 9 to 21. That's slightly a lie. We're going to do verse 9. But um, we've been looking through the book of Romans. Uh, the reason I've decided to do book studies is this. I, I don't think as Christians we spend enough time in the Word of God. I think we've got a little bit lazy as far as the Word of God's concerned. And preaching sometimes can get a bit lazy too, and we can just preach themes and ideas and that sort of stuff. But you know what? It is really important that we become students of the Word of God again. You know, our, our, one of our core values, our first core value as a church, is that we value God and His Word. That's the Bible. God and His Word are number one in all we do. That means our whole lives should be based on this book. If you don't know what's in this book, where are you going to go? What are you not going to, how are you going to act? How are you going to behave? How are you going to respond to the things that are going on around you? So we need to become students of the Word of God again. And to help you do that, I've decided to take you through the Word of God again, beginning to end in some ways. So we're doing the book of Romans at the moment. Next time, I, when I finish that, we're going to go into the book of Revelation. Then I don't know where we'll go after that. Somewhere. 
But it's important that we get into the Word of God. We become hungry for the Word of God, that we study it, that we read it, that we allow God to speak to us from its pages. Because there's our life. In the book of Romans, at chapter 12, there has become a shift in focus. Paul has been speaking in chapter 1, verse 8. He's been laying a foundation for life in Christ, what it means to be a Christian, how we become a Christian, what it means to bear that name. He explains, that our, standing before, he explains our standing before God as we respond to God by faith. The fact that we are broken people, every person on this planet is broken beyond repair. The only thing that can fix us is the cross. And in Romans chapter 1 verse 8, Paul shows us that when we respond to what Jesus did on the cross by faith, God declares us to be in the right. Before him, our status before God is in the right. We are righteous before him. It doesn't mean we become righteous in our actions. It means before God, we are declared in the right. There's no longer anything between us and him. That is part of what he declares in Romans chapters 1 to 8. And then he moves on towards the end of that portion and talks about the place of the Spirit in our lives to change us, to take us from being the sort of half their person we are, the broken person we are, to a person who starts to resemble the Savior who died for us. So he starts to change us by the Spirit from the inside out. It's not a, not a change by law. It's not us doing stuff to make ourselves change. It's a, it's a work of the Spirit from the inside out. So that is Romans 1 through to 8. Then from chapter 12 onwards, there is, as I said before, there is a shift. There is a shift from the workings of God in our lives as individuals or as little family groups. There is a shift now to an emphasis on the larger work of God, which is what it is all about in the first place, the church. Paul now begins to focus on the, 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 the place of the church in God's plan. You see, God's plan is not just for you and I as an individual. God's plan is to take us as individuals, to join us into his wider family called the church, and therefore to reach the world for Jesus. That is God's plan. God's plan is not just for individuals. God's plan is for a family, a new creation, a new group of people, a new family. So in chapter 12, we see this emphasis now on the church. We are blessed to be a blessing. As I said, all that God has done for us isn't just for us. It's that we might, as the church of God, reach the world around us. So in Romans 12, and this is just an introduction, just, uh, just recapping so that those who weren't here for those times know where we're up to. In chapter 12, verse 1, Paul begins to address how that will take place. Now, I want you to understand it will not happen by accident. It will not happen just because you get saved. It will not happen because we respond to the work of the cross by faith. It will not happen because we say the sinner's prayer. That's the start of the process, but the process of the church becoming the church that God is forming on this earth is a slightly different process. And in verse, chapter 1 of verse 12, we see the first part of that process. He says, 
In chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The first stage of the church becoming the church. And I think the church doesn't function too well because we miss out these stages. The first stage of the church becoming the church is total commitment. And at this point, people switch off. It's total commitment. He says, I, I, I urge you to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, all given for him. We will never reach this world for Jesus unless we are totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his family. It's total commitment. It's not, it's not just, a, oh, I'll, I'll come along on a Sunday and I'll, I'll fulfill my Sunday obligation. You know the Catholic thing of going on Saturday night to fulfill your Sunday obligation, and then you can just live your life as you like because you've, you've done your little bit. It's not doing our little bit, it's giving our all. The church will never be the church that Jesus died for unless we all get that one right. You know, when I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a 16-year-old, I gave it all. You know, if there was an older call, I was on the older call because I just wanted to give my life to Jesus. I just wanted to give everything to Him. I just, I, I just gave it all. Now, I'm not saying I was perfect. There was still a lot to be sorted, and there were things I was holding on to that I had to release. But there was an attitude in my life that it was all or nothing. And I, that is the attitude that Paul's talking about. It's all or nothing. It's not a, oh, a little bit here, and I, I, you know, I'll, I'll do enough to make me feel good. It's not about us feeling good. It's about us laying down everything for him. And then in verse 2, he talks about the next stage. His total commitment, living sacrifices is the first stage. The second stage is transformation, us actually changing. Do you realize that we are not going to make any impact on this world unless we're different? Is that a shocking revelation to you? You've got to go into your workplace, we've got to go into the school, we've got to go into the university, and if we're not different, we've got nothing to offer. How can you say, man, I have found life when you look like death? Hmm? Oh, give your life to Jesus, it's wonderful. <laughs> There's got to be a change. Something has to happen in our lives that makes what we have attractive. I don't know about you, but I am not attracted to a frown. I'm not attracted to negativity. I'm not attracted to grizzling. I'm not attracted to depression. Now, I'm not pulling down people who have problems in the area of depression, but it's not attractive, is it? It's not attractive when we're negative. It's not attractive when we're actually under and not above. Now, I know we have problems, but do you know what's attractive about people who are allowing God to work in their lives is that they actually overcome in their problems? And there's something in them that shines even when they're sad? You see, that's attractive. It's not attractive that you don't have anything going wrong in your life. It's attractive that you can shine in the wrong in your life. That you can be going through hell. My sister's dying right now. You know, she's wetting herself, and, and, and it's, it's horrible. 
motor neuron disease is probably the worst thing you can have. And, and I, I'm watching my sister die before my eyes. And yet I am not walking around bawling my eyes out. I am I'm walking around. I have victory in me because I know where she's going. Yeah, this life on earth, it's... She's going into eternity. She loves Jesus. Man, I'm praying, God, do it quick. <laughs> you see, it's not, it's not about not having problems. It's what you do in your problems. It's do we allow, are we so committed to the Lord? Are we so allowing him to change us that those things don't beat us down and hold us down, but we, we rise up in them and we, we become the people that God died for? The church victorious. You look in the book of Revelation, those people are suffering. And yet there's praise, there's worship, there's glory, there's clapping, there's hallelujahs from a people who are being martyred. That's the church that Jesus is coming for, transformed through not conforming to what's going on around us and changing the way we think. And then we looked in verses 3 to 8 and we saw that we, the church that Jesus came for is committed to function. We didn't go into this in any great detail. There's a whole lot of gifts in there we didn't touch. But basically what it's saying is we're all gifted in some way or other. None of you have nothing. We all have something, and our job is to use it for God's glory, not to sit on it, not to bury it. We've all been given talents to use, not to bury. And the church that Jesus is coming for is a functioning church. But if this new faith community is to actually make an impact on this world for Jesus, it has to be more than a doing church. There has to be an ingredient that I think is often missing. And it's this ingredient that takes the church from being an active church to being a powerful church. Let's look at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil... Cling to what is good. I'll keep reading, but we're only going to look at that verse 9. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We're going to look at that next time. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. By the way, he's writing this to people who are being oppressed and persecuted. They've got problems. This is, what he, this is how he says. This is how you react. Practice hospitality. Share with people God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How's that for a hard one? Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'll go back to verse 9. He says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Sincere. Sincere means genuine, not feigned, not an act that is put on. Now, all of us know what it's like to experience insincere love, don't we? Hmm? 
You know, you, you've, all, you've all been somewhere and you know darn well that what's coming out's not real. Hmm? Oh, I love you. And you know darn well they're stabbing you in the back. Hmm? Come on, I've got knives all over me. <laughs> not from this church. But I tell you, it, it still happens. People love you to your face and stab you behind your back. It's insincere. It's not real. You know it's not real because it's not shown. It's not acted out. It's not, it just doesn't last. Or someone reaches out to you with selfish motivations. Churches are terrible at this. I don't want this church to be like this. Churches are terrible. We reach out to people for what we can get out of them. Hmm? You know, we love people when they're doing what we want. And when they've grown past their usefulness, we drop them. Am I right or not? I'm right. I've been, I've been around churches for so long. And not just churches, this is human behavior. You know, you're only useful in your workplace when you're useful. When you're not useful anymore, you're out the door. They restructure. Why do they restructure? To get rid of you. You better believe it. It's human behavior. It's the way it works. But it's not the way the Bible works. It's not the way the church meant to work. We are not meant to love people for what we get out of them and then we flick them off when they don't give us anything anymore. People are not a notch to put in our belt. The unsaved are not a notch for you to put into your I got one saved belt. They're people to love, whether they get saved or not. The only kind of love that changes lives is sincere love, real stuff. Stuff that loves you when you're unlovely. <laughs> the stuff that loves you, the love that loves you when you don't respond the way that you want them to respond. The kind of love that loves you when you come and when you don't come. When you serve and when you don't serve, when you do what they want you to do and when they don't do what you want you to do. That's why when we, when we do that little membership part of our service, when people decide to become members of our church, we, we talk about that kind of love. I love you whether you respond or not. You don't have to do anything about it. We love you and that's what it means. We will not do anything to hurt you. We will not do anything to harm you knowingly. Accidentally we might, but it won't be on purpose. That's the kind of love that we should have in the church. When people come through that door, they should know this is a safe place. They should know that they can come in here and they will be loved whether they, whether they act the way we want them to or not, whether they wear the clothes that we want them to wear or not, whether they do the things we want them to do or not. Not easy though, is it? No? So what should sincere love look like? Keep your finger or something in Romans 12. If you've got a phone, you're going to have trouble because you can't keep your finger in it, can you? So let's go to John chapter 13. The only problem with using your phone is halfway through you're going to get a text message. <laughs> and then you're going to have to want to answer it and then you've lost the track, so... I turn mine off. I use my Bible. Okay, John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is the foot, is the foot washing passage. 
At the end of the foot washing passage, in verse 34, Jesus says this to them. A new commandment I give to you, or a new command I give you. Love one another. How should you love one another? As I have loved you, so must you love one another. And then he goes on in verse 35, he says, By this, all men and women will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So he says, your love must be genuine. Genuine love is like this. Genuine love is loving one another as I have loved you. And then the question is, well, how has Jesus loved us? <laughs> Jesus loved us by giving everything for us. He laid his life down for us. And he, he, he demonstrated that by washing their feet. That wasn't to bring in a, a new institution in the church where we take off our shoes and wash each, people, each other's smelly feet. That wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about an action of servanthood where we bow before another and serve them. When we give to another, when we lay down our lives, our desires, everything we are for another. How did Jesus love us? He gave his life for us. And we need to ask the question, do we as a church love like that? Don't answer me. Think about it. Do we as a church love like that? Do I as an individual love like that? Is that the kind of love that I demonstrate to people when they come along here, when they, when they come to this church. Is that the kind of love I demonstrate in the community? Do I love like Jesus loved? Or is my love conditional? Let's make it even harder. In your marriage, do you love like that? Or is your love conditional? Do you love your partner, your husband, your wife, because of what they do? And if they don't do it, do they get a slap? Huh? Is our love the kind of love that Jesus loved with us with? That kind of love is the proof of who we are. Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples if you love like that. If you don't love like that, they'll know you're not. It doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. If you're not proving it by how we act, people will not think we're the real deal. The real deal loves like this. The real deal loves like Jesus loves. And this world is looking for the real deal. This world is looking for a church that will love like this. Not conditionally, unconditionally. Not because of what we can get out of people, but for what we can give to people. As I have, have loved you, the proof of sincere love is does it resemble the way Jesus loves me? So I can't forgive. Well, how does God love us? He forgives us. So of course we can forgive. If God can do it, we can do it. It's just a choice. And our sincere love proves the reality of Christ in our midst. Now, what does sincere love look like then? All right, it looks like what Jesus does, does for us. But how does sincere love behave? And this is what Paul goes on to in the rest of this passage, which we haven't got time, obviously, to look at this morning. But we can look at the first part of it. Verse 9, he says, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, we might read that and think, Oh, that means I've got to go out and protest. 
You know, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to write letters to, about the evil. I've got, I've, got to, I've got to hate evil. I've got to look at everything evil, and I've got to hate it. It's not really what he's saying if you look into the Greek of it carefully. On the surface, it looks like we become people who speak out against every wrong moral thing in society. And I'm not saying that's what we shouldn't do. I'm just saying it's not what it's saying. Hate means to have a horror of, to abhor, to dislike, to have a strong internal reaction to. And evil is not just dealing with a moral character or a moral thing. Evil basically means this, everything that is hurtful or that brings pain or damage to others around us. So Paul is saying we must love has an internal reaction to things that hurt people. Love has an internal reaction to things that cause brokenness in our world. Now, of course, some of those are moral things. But he's not saying we should start pointing the finger at people in the world and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's not love. That turns people away. Sincere love has an intense inner dislike for anything that brings pain, hurt, or damage to others or to our world. I'm going to look at how we react to or how we act when we have that internal dislike in a minute. It's talking about personal damage, things that bring damage to other people. There should be a reaction within us when we see injustice done. There should be a reaction within us when we see young girls um, um, in slavery, in sexual slavery in our society. There should be an internal reaction when we see men imprisoned in, 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 uh, uh, by pornography. Now, our, our normal reaction is to point the finger and say, you're a bad person. That's not what he's saying. He says we should have a reaction towards the thing, not the person. Big difference. Love doesn't condemn people. Love has an internal reaction to the thing that imprisons people. What about environmental damage? Here, Eric, what about the plastic bags we have all the time? Eh? Oh, it doesn't matter. Do you know what? Our planet matters. I never thought it used to think it did. I was one of those that, oh, pfft. You know, we're leaving this place, it's all going to burn, who cares? That was my action, my reaction, my inner, it's wrong. You realize every single one of you have got plastic inside you now? It's part of your makeup, it's just there. You're half plastic. We're wrecking our planet. There should be a, a, an internal reaction within us, not just for the greenies. The church should take this seriously, Honestly. God created this place. It's not up to us to wreck it, but to love it. Oh, heck, didn't think you'd go there this morning. Social damage. The things in our society, there should be an internal reaction, not to the people, but the thing that is breaking the people. And there's things in our society that are so warped and twisted and wrong. 
And yet our, our, what we think love is to, is to go out and, and declare, that's wrong, you're a bad person, you know, burn down the, the places that, that uh, do the abortions, you know, get angry. That's not love. Because Paul then says, cling to what is good. Have an internal reaction to the evil, but cling to what is good. Cling means to gl be glued to, not separated from. Cling to what is good. I, I, I think in this regard about William Wilberforce. In his day, he looked around and saw the slavery that was around him, and his heart was... He, 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 he had an internal reaction to the evil of slavery. Did he go around burning down slave ships? Did he go sinking them? Did he start painting them with crosses and doing all, this, all that sort of stuff? Did he, what, what did he do? He started to do what he knew he needed to do. He dealt with the evil, not with the people. And so he dedicated his life to changing the law so that it couldn't happen anymore. And it killed him. But he gave his life to get rid of the evil of slavery. He didn't attack the slave trader. He attacked the evil that was behind the slave trader, and he won. Cling to what is good. Love causes us to cling strongly to everything that brings life. Basically, this is what this is saying. If it's dark, don't start yelling at the darkness. Turn the light on. If you walk into a dark room, don't grizzle that it's dark. Turn the light on. And honestly, the church has become known for what it's against. We've become known for people who shout at the darkness and protest about darkness and cry about darkness and protest and jump up and down about darkness. And Jesus said, for goodness sake, turn my light on. Let people see the light. Let them see the life. And they won't be attracted to the darkness anymore. Cling to what is good. Notice that the two phrases are side by side. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. Don't let the evil cling to you. Let the good cling to you. Now, we know there's lots, there's multitudes of meaning within that, but I'm bringing out one this morning. So I haven't brought out the one you like. Sorry. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. So love not only reacts... Love acts. Genuine love sees pain, feels pain, and acts to heal it. Sincere love sees injustice and acts to fix it. In the first place you start to fix it is in yourself, of course. Because that same injustice you see in other people, often you're doing as well, but you're just not aware of it. Jesus didn't just see our need, he gave his life to provide the answer for it. That's genuine love. You know, I, I believe we're in a world that's tired of words. Everywhere we go, there's words, there's slogans. Going to McDonald's, they've got a slogan on the wall. You go into another business, they've got a slogan on the wall. 
There's words all over the place saying, we believe this, and we believe this, and this vacuum cleaner's best, and this car's the best, and this is the greatest, and all the all this stuff, you know, Coke is it. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, Coke's it. Words, we, we're, just, we're just flooded with words, but what the world needs is actions. Real stuff. Real love. I used to like playing with my ring. This has got nothing to do with what I'm saying, but I just started to do it and I realized it wasn't there. I've had to have my ring chopped off. Do you realize it hurt me? Not physically, but I, I've got a problem in my hands, Jupiter's contracture, and so my ring didn't fit anymore. It's starting to bite into me, so I had to have it chopped off. I've worn that thing for 39 years. And it, only a little bit of gold, but it meant something to me. <laughs> I was just fiddling with it, and it wasn't there anymore. I don't like that. It's just tough. It's just the way it is. But that says something to me about what my love is for a woman. I, I, 39 years ago, I said, I do. You know, silly, she wears my ring, keeps going through my head now. <laughs> Isn't it bizarre? And yet, it really does hurt. Because it meant something to me. And you know what? That's the way we should be towards other people. Not just the one we're married to, but everybody. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's something within us that should connect powerfully. The world's tired of wo- words. A broken world doesn't want a church that talks. You know, we, we, we're doing our website and we're going to make it as flash as we possibly can, but really, it's not going to save us all. Unless we've got the real deal behind it. You know, having music out in the foyer, it's nice, but really it's, it's not going to get anybody into heaven unless what happens out in the foyer has got the real thing behind it. You know, I really appreciate what our musicians do, but quite frankly, on its own, it's not going to shift a hill of beans unless we've got the real thing behind it. And I can stand up here and rattle on till the cows come home, and quite frankly, it's not going to make any difference unless the real thing is in front of me. True? And in me. Genuine love not only sees the need, it does something about it. Now, I'm going I'm to stop for a minute, for two minutes, and do an advertisement right in the middle of my sermon. I'm allowed to do that, aren't I? Because I think it's about time we invested in doing something for the people around us. And investing sometimes costs money. It costs time. And I, I think we need to become prepared to reach our world in a powerful way. And one way can, we can do that is through chaplaincy training. So what? Do you know what tra- chaplaincy training is? It's not training you to be a person who wears a collar and sits in a corner and looks righteous. It's training you to actually reach out into a world and learn to listen to people and talk to people like they actually matter. Because they do. And I think we need to be trained in that. I don't think we're very good at that. If you're anything like me, you're lousy at it. And Alpha Crucis, our Assemblies of God Bible College, offer a course. Now, it's not, by on, it's not online. It has to be localized. So we have to have at least 10 people doing it. And it doesn't come free. It's a diploma course. Each, each module is $700. 
but I bet you you went to the dentist last year. It probably cost more than that. I took my wife's car in, and I was quite pleased. It was only 350, and then next week I had to take it in again, and it was another 250. Boom, just like that. So we'll spend it on those things. We'll go on a holiday, and it costs us anything up to $20,000. But will we train ourselves to reach people? Hmm, thought. So I encourage you to think about that. These, I don't want you to take these just to make darts out of. But if, you are, if that really interests you, I want you to take it, read it. And if that is you, I want you to let me know. Because if we get 10 people, we will run one here. And we can do it here. We don't have to go anywhere to do it. It can be all done locally. Otherwise, you've got to travel up to Auckland or somewhere, and that's not nice. Because it's only done face-to-face. So why do I say that? Because we need to be trained to reach out to a community in love. And we need to invest in that. Take it seriously. Put our money where our mouth is, I think. See, it's the doing that makes a difference. Genuine love feels the pain and takes action. Over and over we read about Jesus, that he was moved with compassion, but he wasn't just moved with compassion. He did something. It says he's moved with compassion and he healed the sick. He was moved with compassion and he raised the dead. He was moved with compassion and he fed the 5,000. Whenever we read he was moved with compassion, it was followed with an action. He didn't just feel sorry, he did something about it. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he touched the leper, he raised the dead, he spoke to the woman at the well, he blessed the children, he cast out the demon, he spoke to the prostitute, he was moved with compassion, and he did things. We get moved with compassion and we talk. (laughs) Don't we? We do. And yet I think it's time we did things for a world in need. So a Christian response to a broken world must be one of genuine love. A church that is the church that Jesus died for is a church that loves genuinely. A love that closely resembles the love Jesus has for us. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? You get into these books and you actually find out, ooh, we're a long way away. And the only way this world will recognize the love of Jesus is through us. They're not going to read this, really. But they are going to read you and me. They're going to look at us, they're going to look at the way we behave, they're going to look at the way we talk, they're going to look at what we do. And if they see something different, they'll take notice. We've got to ask ourselves, are they taking notice? (laughs) What kind of love does the world see in me? Does it see a love that sees and feels injustice and pain, a love that takes action, a love that sees the need and does something to fix it? That's why I'm going along to this thing on the 25th. It's about time the church got involved in the community, not just sat back and criticised the community. You know, we, I'm good at criticising Dunedin City Council. It's quite fun. It becomes a pastime. Every time I go down Portobello Road, I criticise the City Council. You know. But you know what? That doesn't do anything. It's time we started getting involved, doing something. 
You know what? Only a love of that nature will change the world. And that's what we're about, eh? To make a mark on this world, we need to love as Jesus does. And nothing less will do. Father, I just thank you that you have called us to South Dunedin for such a time as this. Lord, you've saved us for such a time as this. So Lord, I pray that we won't waste that. Lord, I pray that our Christianity will be a real, genuine, loving Christianity that actually looks around us and does stuff. Father, I pray that you'll challenge us, that you'll help us to be the people that you died for. The church, the bride that you're coming for, that's without spot or wrinkle. Father, I pray that you would work in us as a church, that nation's church would become the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.